Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today is, sorry, I had to chat up. Today is June 21st, 2021, and we are going to talk about technology today. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado. How are you doing this morning, David? I'm doing all right. It was a good weekend. Did you have a good Father's Day? I did have a good Father's Day. It was very, very nice. Nice. Well, yes, today's article is from CIO Magazine, I believe, by a guy named Sanjay Srivastava, and he is the chief digital officer at Genpact, which is a consulting firm that was spun off of General Electric, and they focus on technological transformation. So as we always say on this show, where you stand depends on where you sit, and this guy as a result of being a C-level executive for a technological transformation firm. When it comes to technological transformation, he's in favor of it. <laughs> yes, he is. That's his job. Mm-hmm. And so he will be He will be very much in favor of it, which I think it's a very good thing to see all different sides. Uh, you, know, you know, we always say, keep on talking, listen more than talk. Listen to everybody. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a very good a very good episode. All right. So should we just jump into the article? Uh, sure. Let's start with... Actually, I'd like to start with the title. Uh, he says, technology is the easy part. It's the process of change that's hard. Uh, well, uh, technology is not that easy. <laughs> uh, I think for his perspective, he's not really... He's not really... In, he's not really doing anything to change technology. He's using technology. So, yeah, uh, he's not going to be creating uh, new technology. He's taking technology and using it. So in his perspective, uh, technology is is not easy because it's there. Uh, The the process of change, that's the hard part because that's his job. Yes. (laughs) He's making a change. But I I see sort of what he's saying in that, uh, oops, out-of-the-box technology itself is – it works these days, more or less. You know, you're not going to spend uh, millions of dollars on a solution that's just completely broken for your enterprise. But the real part of implementing technology that's difficult is even though the technology works, it doesn't mean that the people know how it works. So yes. you can you can take an out-of-the-box technological solution that's proven to do exactly what it says it does, but if you have a 1,000-person organization and you're trying to get all of those people on board with using this new workflow, that's going to cause some growing pains. Yep, it is. But when you're talking about technology, there's different there's, – there's like you, you can have basic research that's basically theories and concepts and ideas. And, and uh, there's a lot of journal articles from universities that do that. Uh, but then once you have these concepts, eventually, and uh, you go back, and uh, he, he even talked about uh, 1685 Isaac Newton. He was an idea guy. You know, he got some this, these theories. Uh, but then the next is the applying it, and you see the application the results, and they go, oh, look, this is what can be done. And that's the second level, and there's where he talked about uh, 57 USSR actually did something. Uh, but then the third level is how do you take this technology? How do you take the application and then you solve real world problems? Uh, and how do you transfer that to industry? 
you know, how do you, you innovate our culture, our society in different industries? And that's what that's what he's talking about in this article. At least that's my that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so should we begin reading? Sure. Okay. Technology is the easy part. It's the process of change that's hard from, I think it's from CIO Magazine, although we got it from some sort of content aggregator called Tech Target. CIOs may have a handle on harnessing technology, but to truly be digital IT leaders, they need to focus on the multifaceted process of business transformation. Okay. This, just this title alone reminds me of something from The Simpsons. (laughs) <laughs> okay what uh, let's let's see if i can pull up the clip um <laughs> there's a lot of buzzwords would you not agree oh yeah i would definitely agree with that and that's and buzzwords is what sells uh you know and because he's at the sea level and trying to communicate and, and sell people okay i'll uh, share this with you so you can hear it and okay. I, don't, I don't mean to, to be negative <laughs> about, I don't want to be negative or anything about this, but this is what it reminded me of. Okay. I have figured out how to rejuvenate the show. It is so simple. You egghead writers would have never thought of it. What we need is a new character, one that today's kids can relate to. Are you absolutely sure that's wise, sir? I mean, I don't want to sound pretentious here, but Itchy and Scratchy comprise a dramaturgical dyad. Hey, this ain't art, it's business. What do you got in mind? Sexy broad, gangster octopus? No, no. The animal chain of command goes mouse, cat, dog. D-O-G. Uh, a dog? Uh, isn't that a tad predictable? In your dreams, we're talking the original dog from hell. You mean Cerberus? We at the network want a dog with attitude. He's edgy. He's in your face. You've heard the expression, let's get busy? Well, this is a dog who gets busy. Consistently and thoroughly. So he's proactive, huh? Oh, God, yes. We're talking about a totally outrageous paradigm. Excuse me, but proactive and paradigm, aren't these just buzzwords that dumb people use to sound important? Not that I'm accusing you of anything like that. I'm fired, aren't I? Oh, yes. The rest of you writers start thinking up a name for this funky dog. I don't know, something along the lines of, say, Poochie, only more proactive. So I see a lot of buzzwords. Uh, Harnessing technology, digital IT leaders, multifaceted process, business transformation. That's a lot of buzzwords to cram into a subtitle. Would you not agree? (laughs) I would agree. Uh, But then it is a CIOs, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're just trying to harness a new paradigm, right? And be they, proactive. That, that's very true. That's very true. And uh, again, not to be not to be too negative here. Got to be careful here. Not to be too negative. Is that uh, the, this is a C level? This is the CIO. This is the C level, and they're going to throw these technologies around. And a lot of times, they do not develop these things. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They don't develop the technology. They don't develop the IT. They don't develop the the, the, the analytics uh, and the and the machine learning uh, that's done other places, but they they're using it, and that's why uh, throwing around around uh, these terms are easy to do. Okay, so space okay. is not that far off. If you could travel the distance by car, you would safely get there in under an hour. 
1685, Isaac Newton showed us how a projectile, shot with gradually increasing velocity from the top of a mountain, theoretically would eventually orbit Earth. In 1957, the USSR launched the first satellite and sent Sputnik 1 into low Earth orbit, where it stayed for two months before falling back into the atmosphere. And for the first time, Newton's theory of orbiting came into practice in the real world. Along the way, we learned that the hardest part isn't so much getting to space. It's orchestrating the larger set of variables to stay there. Um, let's keep going. The pace of digital transformation. Back on Earth and in enterprises worldwide, digital has become a galvanizing force, and the pace of transformation is unlike ever before. The pandemic has driven businesses to focus on resilience, recovery, and growth. And that has required corporations to redesign value propositions, deliver sticky experiences, and drive higher value. As a result, the pace of digital transformation has accelerated to address that need for unconstrained agility and new business growth. At the same time, elastic computing is becoming pervasive. Hyper-automation is enabling digitization of virtually any processes and composable services. And data analytics and AI are accelerating time to value across markets. Implementing these new technologies requires careful work and rigorous attention. So, my question is, do you know what all this stuff is? You're muted. Sorry. Yeah, it was you're you're breaking up. I thought maybe I was causing it. Oh, yeah, uh, the 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 resilience, recovery and growth, that's those are phrases from supply chain uh, like from the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, when things when things are broken, how do you bring them back? You know, and the value propositions of when do you bring in technology and where do you bring technology? What's the value? Yeah, and uh, as you, you always have value propositions, uh, whatever you wh any type of uh, new type of uh, application. Yeah, and uh, so elastic computing. Can you explain it to me in one paragraph? Uh, no, I can't. I can't. Well, then let's Google it. Google it. Oh, okay. Is that what they're calling cloud these days? It's 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 um. It's just googling it's, it's, elastic computing. You see elastic cloud. You see AWS. You see Azure. You see the big cloud computing companies. Uh huh. Elasticity. So. It's pretty much everything. It's like it's the yeah the degree to which a system is able to adapt to workloads by by provisioning and deprovisioning resources in an It's just being agile. It's being it's elastic. It's just everything. It's like but shifting from one to the other to the other to the other. But in this, it's you're taking stuff out of your own data center in your office complex and you're putting it in the cloud. Because Amazon will co-locate your data, you'll pay less for maintenance costs of your servers because you're just using a fraction of what you need, and you'll be able to handle surges uh, without having to pay, you know, the carrying cost for a server bay that's designed to handle X amount of throughput, and you only hit that once or twice a year. So, so yeah, last it's, that's, all, it's also engaging IoT. It's saying we're not going to get it through the through the mail anymore. Let's just have IoT. 
Uh, let's do point of sale capturing. Uh, let's communicate upstream and downstream. It just keeps going and going. Yeah, it's just being very agile and responsive to things. Okay, but what I get is it's mostly just implementing implementing some sort of cloud-based data storage and retrieval solution as your server bay from a, from a systems analyst perspective, right? I mean, okay. yeah. that, that's, that seems like the main, I guess you're using it for servers and you're using it for compute as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's every part of the process, like you're saying. That's right. That's right. Hyper automation, nice. I can say is just automation, but like hyper style, like mega automation. It's it starting connect. It's starting to connect everything. Yeah, uh, it's not just automation. It's connecting all the automations together and having inter interconnectability, uh, interconnectedness. And what's a composable service? Uh, I'm not sure what he means by that. Let's let's look that let's up. Let's Google it. Yeah, composable services. Yeah, let's see what he means by that. It's a design principle. Applied with the service orientation design paradigm that encourages the design of services that can be reused in multiple solutions that are themselves made up of composed services. It sounds like modularization. You modulize things so that you can you can piece it together, kind of like... Uh, I mean, an example uh, would be WordPress. So WordPress does the HTML, the CSS, the PHP, and the SQL, and provides you with the front-end interface. And it manages the, what it needs to for your Apache server. So you all you see is a web interface. But the service of WordPress, what's composed within that is it will write the HTML. It will give the page design with CSS. It will allow for user interaction with PHP, and it will store that user interaction in a database without you having to write a single line of code. That's a composable service. Right. Yeah, where uh, the service is taking all this technology and bringing it together uh, for your use case again. Mm -hmm. It's more of a use case perspective. So it's not, it, it could be different for different applications. Yes, but that's an example of a composable service. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then data analytics and AI, that's more your ballywick, are accelerating time to value across markets. Yep. Is that just firms can be more agile or make more data-driven decisions faster? Is that essentially what it's saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're taking data. Data analytics, uh, there's whole levels, there's different levels of data analytics. Yeah, data analytics is just, uh, when you have this data and information, you can use that information to make decisions faster. Artificial intelligence is actually the decision making, uh, but also it's it's decisions not so much. It's from just routine decisions to more uh, significant decisions as far as uh, strategic decisions, and and uh, you give the AI the capability of making decisions based on inputs and outputs, and so there's different different ways of doing it. So uh, data analytics is just the analysis, but artificial intelligence uh, actually takes that information and then makes a decision out of it, like a decision analysis. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not it's not really a decision; it's just give it a job to do, and it will do that job with the with the data. 
So what's an example of data analytics and AI accelerating time to value across markets? Can you give a firm example of that? Yeah, like data analytics, an example of time to value across markets is like uh, data analytics that say, okay, well, you have different supply chains and the information uh, from one uh, can be used in a, in, a, in a neighboring supply chain to enhance its uh, forecasting, uh, the supply, uh, like uh, on the supply side of a supply chain. Uh, artificial intelligence will make those decisions quicker. Instead of taking two weeks to make the decision, it can be done very quickly. It says, nope, we have to shift this shipment here. We have to load this dock here. We have a cross dock here. So uh, AI just makes those decisions faster. Data analytics can share information uh, so that people uh, can across markets so that uh, I mean that's that's uh, that's, that's, say, faster. that's saying what he's saying that's that's not a specific example like could you provide two industries where this would work oh uh, uh, let's see here um, like bananas and blueberries or yeah let's say let's say like uh, like like the the uh, uh, lumber industry mm-hmm. uh, the construction industry uh, they want to build things and uh, they need lumber. Uh, and the lumber really is based on uh, the uh, uh, forestry and it's based on uh, the imports, uh, let's say from Canada. Uh, I don't know that industry, but uh, and so, but at data analytics would say, oh, well, they're going to have a shortage. And so therefore the, the construction industry understands that labor is going to be challenging. So maybe the AI says, well, you need to shift to go to maybe to, to an alternative supply chain, maybe from, from Mexico or something. Or, and it happens in, in Asia as well. So you get, you have the Philippines, but then you also have Korea. You also have the, the Vietnam. So you can shift between uh, different supply chains. And so the data analysis says, you're going to have a shortage. You can predict that. Uh, the AI says, well, the most optimal way of doing that is going to be this configuration of shifting your resources and your suppliers. Does that help? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I was just saying like, you know, time to value across markets. So I was just trying to get you to say, okay, here's two separate markets. Um, Now, data analytics can take insights from this market and apply it to this other market and uh, accelerate, you know, the efficiency of a supply chain, you know, but without saying you like you without saying you could take one supply chain and apply it to another supply chain. It can say like what you've learned in the manufacture of uh, semiconductors for central processing units can be used in the manufacture of semiconductors for graphics processing units or something like that. Um, Just sort of just a specific example of how that works. Or how the semiconductors will influence or will impact the automobile industry. Mm hmm. So that's that sort of decelerated time to value across markets because they didn't lock in there. So AI, AI should maybe in the future sort of predict, well, this is a bottleneck component. Let's make sure that we continue to contract for this, even though we may not have production standards because it's easier to ha- warehouse 200,000 $1 computer chips than to stop production for a year and a half. That's right. That's right. But the problem with AI, not not to get too much into the weeds, is that AI will do what it is designed to do. Uh, and so it will answer the questions 
that it's designed to answer. Uh, it won't answer questions that it's not designed to answer. And so you have to design AI in very specific areas. Uh, and sometimes they say, AI didn't tell us to do this over here. It wasn't designed to give you those answers. So you got to be really careful how you design this. Mm -hmm. And so as far as as far as the, the uh, technology is concerned, again, uh, going back to that third level that I mentioned at the beginning, it, when you apply it to something, you have to know how to apply it. Mm -hmm. uh, this this AI and data analytics, artificial intelligence and machine learning, it does not replace humans because humans have to have to have to model these things to make sure they make the right decisions in the right area in the right time. Yeah, and I mean, he even mentions in the first paragraph of the body without the the pandemic has driven businesses to focus on recovery, resilience, and growth. Well, the thing is. If you are an ace programmer and you can program models that sort of uh, just accelerate operational efficiency across your entire um, enterprise, no model that you'll ever write will have a once in a hundred year pandemic and know what year it's going to come. Do you see what I'm saying? That's you're, right. you're not going to be able to plan for that. So it's like, well, now that this has happened, we need to plan for this. It's like, why? Uh, you didn't need to plan for it in the preceding hundred years, but because it was so devastating, if something, you don't need to plan for this specifically. You need to plan for if something like this happens, how can we remain resilient, right? And unfortunately with analytics, they say like the past and the present, they go, well, yeah, uh, this has happened just like you said, David, in the past hundred years. And so we saw this pattern and if, and if A happens, then B happens. So therefore, if A happens again, let's prepare ourselves for B. And so you can do that uh, because you have that history, you have that, that knowledge. But what it doesn't have is say, what if C happens? What, let's hypothesize what D would be. And uh, there's where humans come in. Or they say, can we make an E happen? Uh, when something happens, mm -hmm. can we create things that don't even exist? Uh, and so that that's what uh, the uh, analytics will not do. Uh, well, they will do it in a sense if you can create a model of something and then you can modify the model. Again, it only does what you what the capabilities that you give it. And so humans give it the capabilities uh, to make decisions or do things. Well, I mean, let's say that you owned ten office buildings. And from 1960 to 2020, for 60 years, people would come to your offices and do office work every day. And you say, okay, I own 10 office buildings. I am this deeply invested. I do the maintenance on them. I pay my property taxes. I find lessees. I'm the lessor. We have this thing going. I have cash flow. What in that business model, how could you possibly anticipate a once in a hundred year pandemic where people realize, oh crap, we can cut the cost of offices out of the entire enterprise, or we can slash our offices by 90% because people can just work from home almost equally as efficiently. Um, there's no way you can plan for that. There's no way you could be resilient. And those assets already exist. There's already giant buildings downtown filled with people in cubicles working that probably don't need to be there because they could do it from their laptop. It's fascinating to me. 
So um, that that's uh, analytic analytics won't predict that, or because you don't. It's you, you got to be careful in saying, okay, artificial intelligence didn't say that was going to happen, or but what if a pandemic did happen? Then what types of things could be done? So when you propose that uh, to technology or to uh, analytics or artificial intelligence or neural network, if you propose that, uh, then they can come up with alternatives. But then by what criteria? Mm -hmm. You know, and so does it know all the criteria that a human would know? Only if the human gives it yeah. those criteria. And so, so you got to be really careful of how you move forward and how much power you give uh, uh, these AI type. Uh, applications. But you're right, David, there's no way of knowing that. Uh, even if you put that in there uh, into some kind of a model, uh, how do you know the consequences? What you're doing is focusing just on those on that problem. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't know how it's going to affect, as you said, across markets, uh, uh, the, the society, the global society uh, and other types of uh, uh, alternative or alternative markets or alternative supply chains or alternative industries. Mm -hmm. You don't have a model for the world. You have a model for your area, for your industry. You don't know how, what other thing, pe people, people get sick and they can't come to work. Oh, that's not part of the model, you mm -hmm. know, or our suppliers got sick and we no longer have that supply. We didn't think of that, yeah. you know, or that's not in the model. So can you think of every type of scenario? Not necessarily, not necessarily. And even if you did, then what consequences would there be? It's very difficult. So so actually, now that I think about this, uh, you're bringing up some very good points, David. It's like, yes, it is challenging how to take technology and apply it for the future. Uh, and how you apply it, uh, you're going to have results that are short term, medium term, and what the long term results are. Maybe you should think of long term results so that your short term solutions lay a foundation where you can build long term type growth. Mm -hmm. Or your or your short term metrics or your medium term metrics. It's like, you know, if you're focused on quarterly profit or yearly profit, you can say, well, we need to make sure that the next pandemic doesn't eat as much into our quarterly profit. And it's like. Well, maybe you need to realize that a pandemic or any type of, you know, unforeseen circumstance that sort of shuts everything down will eat into your quarterly profit and be OK with that. You know, it's, I think it's the people that have the foresight to say, oh, if we take this hit for two quarters, we'll come back stronger than if we try to sort of limp along for two quarters. Um, well, you know, we'll expend too many resources in a war of attrition, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so back to the article. Still. Okay. Most enterprise CIOs agree that technology is no longer the long pole in the tent, and the focus now needs to be on innovation and transformation. Just like launching into space and orbiting the Earth, digital is relatively easy. It's the transformation within a business that's the hard part. This realization comes at a time when the stakes have never been higher, and the difference between leading the disruption or letting it happen to you becomes the difference between life and death for business. I recently met with Sigal Azarmi, the international CIO at Morgan Stanley, to discuss why transformation is so difficult. 
she shared with me that in the end, to get true results, transformation needs to be comprehensive and effectively managed across the four dimensions of people, processes, data, and technology. There we go. That's the that's his thesis, correct? What do you say in this article? Yeah, that's the point of this article, of this paper, is he talks about people. Well, he he doesn't analyze it. He just talks about it and presents people, processes, data, and technology. But that's it's his true. thesis, right? That the management of technology is not just technology. It's one of it's a four-headed horseman, where you need to focus on people, processes, data, and technology. That's correct. That's correct. Yep, that's true. So and. Um, But he's right. Transformation is is it's I wouldn't say I still wouldn't say technology is the easy part, uh, but it's been done. Uh, everything's easy once you know how to do it. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I, from from his perspective, um, the technologies that are being used, if you're a medium enterprise and you're pulling in one hundred million dollars a year, let's say that's that's a good sized company. Mm-hmm. Um the technological options available to you for best practices, it's like, are you going to use Oracle or SAP? You know, what's going to be your backend database? And, you know, you have a limited amount of cloud providers. Are you going to use Azure Cloud or are you going to use Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud? Um, In terms of data analysis, there's slightly more things you could do. But in terms of processes, that will be specifically tailored to your corporate culture and and your company history, and then in terms of people, no company has the same people that you do. So, <laughs> so for technology, you know, for what technology do we implement to run this organization at this size? You, you have two or three choices. For how are we going to analyze this data? There's, you know, you have to get the right people on the bus, as I, like some business writer said, uh, Stephen Collins is that his name, but. Uh, for data, there's a finite amount of principles you can apply, like Bayesian principles, just standard operations techniques. For processes, I'm sure within your industry there are some best processes. And then for people, that's the most differentiated. So I think like what, he's, what you're seeing here is a funnel of no company has the same people. And then companies across industries will share processes, but they won't be identical. And then, you know, how you have data is relatively baked in based upon your industry and your the size of your company and then technology you really don't have too many choices in terms of how you implement technology that's i i don't know if that's what he's trying to say but i do see it as this this people processes data technology goes from more differentiated to left less differentiated i think you're right i see i see that yeah and i see that it depends on how you look at it uh, mm-hmm. uh, nobody, nobody, no even culture, no time can generate all the technology we have today. It, it takes centuries to do that. But once we have it, we have it. Mm-hmm. So that's there. It's in our hand. Uh, the question is, how do you use it? And that's the challenging part. Uh, and he says that's the hard part. I'd say that's the challenging part. Because that challenge is different for every single industry, every single company, even every single person. Uh, how you apply it, that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I see what you're saying, and I think you're right. It's a good way to look at it. 
So enablers of business transformation. We now know that transformation is most effective when we start with the experience we want to achieve and then work back across each of the four dimensions to change how work is done end to end. Getting the new operating model right, talent skilling and change management are critical to the journey. This requires a high degree of outside-in thinking, a cultural predisposition to agility, bias toward action, clear leadership, and ground-up engagement. It's easy to see why getting the people dimension right is so critical and can be equally as difficult. There was a lot of buzzwords in that paragraph. <laughs> well, that's spoken by someone who has to manage people, I think. <laughs> I think that's spoken by someone who knows a lot about how this works, and also someone who is presenting this to higher level C-level executives. So it's like, we want, you know, we want the right, the people with the right mindset and the right skills to sort of think outside the box and sort of be prepared to handle whatever we throw at them. That's, that sounds like a layman speak, you know? But if you mm -hmm. want to sound like an expert, you say, getting the new operating model right, talent, skilling, and change management are critical to the journey. And it requires a high degree of outside-in thinking, a cultural predisposition to agility, bias towards action, clear leadership, and ground-up engagement. That's what you would say instead of, we want people <laughs> who are, are willing to, to work with us to change, right? Yeah. In so other you, words... You present that good. to a board and they're like, this guy's good, you know? But really, you're sort of mixing around the words. Again, buzzwords. Basically, all these things that we want good people, but not just good people. You want a good mix of people. Mm -hmm. uh, there again, uh, in industries, have you know, if you're in an industry, if you've done this at all, uh, in a successful industry and successful, uh, you have to have a mix of people. Uh, you can't have all. You have, can't have clones. You can't have all one type. You, you need a whole broad spectrum of people. You really, really do. And uh, and I think talent skilling, uh, and I think maybe that's what he means by that. I've never heard that term before, but I think what he means is you need talent, uh, but you need talent with skills yeah. that they actually do things. But also the talent has to be has to be broad enough so that your change management, you know how to create the change, implement the change, evaluate the change, configure the change. In other words, change management is not just making a change. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, change management is very challenging. Uh, and uh, like, did it happen? If it happened, did, did it configure into the rest of the uh, the, the industry or in a company? Did it cause a problem elsewhere? Uh, so, how you implement change is extremely challenging. Mm -hmm. Well, I think and, I, I think that's talent skilling. You're exactly right. It's you want to hire talented people. But they're useless unless you give them the skills they need to succeed within the organization. Right? Yeah. For people, it's not what you know. It's what you can do. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want smart people. You want smart people who can do things. <laughs> yes. Like a, vi a violin and a, a violinist, a concert violinist and a surgeon both have very good hands. But I wouldn't want a concert violinist doing my triple bypass. Because it's a separate that's skill set. That's true. And music on a paper is necessary, but it's not sufficient to hear the music. You have to have someone playing it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's different perspectives here.
very different perspectives. Some people are idea people and some people are action people. You need action people. You need idea people too, but you need action people. Some people are driven by, let's just do it. Let's just do it. No, let's think about it. Let's think about it. You can't have all thinkers. You can't have all doers. You got to have a combination mm -hmm. because the thinkers will think about what's being done. The doers will get it done. And so you really need a combination of that. Mm -hmm. now, now, some people, like he's saying that the technology is there. Some people will say, oh, well, you know, yeah, this is what we did uh, back in in aught four. So we should do that again today. Mm -hmm. Another person says, no, wait a minute. Aught four is not the same as 2021. He says, and actually 2024, we should be doing this because this is going to happen. Yeah. Some people live in the past and some people can see the future. You need people. You need both people because you don't want to make the mistakes you did made in the past. But you don't. But you also want to be innovative for the future. Mm -hmm. And who is innovative? It's the people. Yes. I think that's why you get younger people within an organization. It's like, you know, you can go see Billie Eilish and she'll play her newest hit. And you may have never heard it before, but it's going to be a hit six months from now. Now, if you go see Billy Joel, you're definitely hearing Piano Man. <laughs> you're going to take a piss or grab a beer when he plays the new stuff. You know, you're there for the greatest hits. And I think that a lot of people within organizations, they say, back in Op 4, I implemented these changes that really revolutionized our profit model. And that's, I'm that guy. I'm that, these specific changes guy. And it's tough to be yeah. anyone else. So... We've done a long, long diatribe on people. That's now, important. People, I think, are the most important. I think that they may be the most important as well, but... Processes. No, no, I just want to just oh. sort of do a quick sort of recap. Talent skilling. Okay, okay we want to get talented people and give them the right skills. No right. one would disagree with that. And change management. So when we have change... We want someone to say, this is how it's going to go and lead your people through the process. Now, I don't know too many CIOs or chief digital officers that would say, we're going to change, but it's going to be completely laissez-faire. You know, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever happens, happens. No one's going to manage this. They're critical to the and, journey. So that also, on the ahead. change management, on the change management, David, on the, along those lines, what you just said is good because... You say, oh, young people say, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And the old people says, oh, wait a minute. You better watch out. You better watch out. Because back in Ot 4, when we made that kind of a change, these kind of things happened. It says, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. So experience is good to not make the same mistakes. Yes. It's not, it's not necessarily good to be innovative. You need both. So you want the young people say, let's do this change. Let's do this change. And the old, old guy says, wait a minute, uh, let's do the change this way so that we don't make these mistakes because I've seen that happen and this, I see it coming on. Mm -hmm. But I, I agree with you. I didn't think of that. Your ideas are fantastic, but let's do it this way. So you need both. Yes. Sorry. And so this requires a high degree of outside in thinking. That's basically people who think outside the box, right? right. And they apply right. it. I think he didn't right. want to use that because it's a cliche. So they just sort of changed the cliche into outside in thinking is people who think outside the box. Now, that, that, that may be a saying that's very popular within Jim Pack, too. Yeah, it's true. Because 
like, you know, when you're selling people advice, you don't want it to be something they've heard before. So you change the wording a little bit. And it's like, oh, I haven't heard that before. A cultural, it becomes heirs. A cultural predisposition to agility. So that, I mean, that occurs at the HR level or, you know, you're no, trying to onboard people that have worked at agile corporations before. Like, how do you create a cultural predisposition to agility? That sounds like it's not something you could do overnight. And that's no, something that, that you can't do as a change manager. That starts at the C level. And and, and the culture is, I think the culture, uh, you got to have, you got to start with the board. Mm-hmm. It starts with the C level. They have to they have to support that kind of culture. If the if it doesn't start from the top down, it's not going to happen. Uh, they're going to undermine it. There's so many millions of ways to undermine that type of culture. But agility, you have to be all that. I think what they mean by predisposition to agility is that make sure you can change. If this doesn't work, stop doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shift to something else. If that works, keep doing it. You know, double down. If it doesn't work, stop doing it, you know. And so, so many times people says, oh, well, it doesn't work. Well, let's do it better. Nah, if it doesn't work, stop doing it. So that culture has to start top down. And then bias towards action. Well, if you want to change, you can't have people that want to stay the same. So that makes sense. Clear leadership. Now, when (laughs) someone advocates for clear leadership, it's like, oh, man, I've read a lot of articles where they advocate for muddy leadership. But... You're advocating for clear leadership. I think that that's a good point. And I don't think that's really, is that more for like the cadence of the sentence? Because no one would ad- advocate for unclear leadership, right? Well, any type of leadership, if you're talking, if he's talking to industry, if he's talking to his own company, his other colleagues at the C-level or the, or the CEO, if he's talking, he'll say this. So that they will embrace the other the other things he's saying. Mm-hmm. A clear leadership would support outside thinking, uh, clear disposition to agility and action. They would said, "I think I think that's just something that you have to throw in mm-hmm. for them to embrace everything else that he's saying." It's sort of like uh, people on the board or people that are uh, perhaps making decisions above him. Let's say I'm predisposed not to do this does that mean i'm predisposed against agility i'm biased against action and my leadership isn't clear because what he's saying is if you implement something like this it means that you're predisposed to agility you're biased towards action and your leadership is clear so if you oppose technological change your leadership is unclear right it sort of sets it up as a a uh, psychological thing in your mind, not supporting this type of transformation. And I guess that's what that's what Genpak sells is is business transformation. So he's saying, do you want to lead unclearly? Well, then don't hire us to handle your technological transformation. Because this is what we're bringing. This is what we're, what we're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. He might even be talking to his Genpak leadership. He's talking to his clients. Clients, yeah. His clients. If you want clear leadership, this is what you you should be doing. And this is what we bring to the table as a consultant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you don't do these things, maybe you're not the right people. You know? That, that's right. That's right. So if you want to be the right people, listen to what I have to say. Or hire me. Um, 
continuing on. We've got one out of the four. We're going to be going for like two hours. The other key <laughs> enabler of transformation is redesigning the end-to-end -end processes. Too often, incremental change that is easy to come by is insufficient, and the significant changes that can return results are difficult to orchestrate. The best recipe for success is a combination of deep expertise in the nuances of an industry or specific process, a keen eye for the value that ultimately needs to be delivered, and creative thinking that can reimagine the future of work. Okay, that's the process. That's yeah. I, I think that's less. Um, no, no, I think that's a landmine. I think from my experience, I think that's very, very dangerous what he's talking about. It's, it's spoken by someone who hasn't had a lot of failure. <laughs> uh, again, you got to be careful. Uh, too often incremental change that is easy to come by is insufficient. That's true, but you got to be very careful to change too much too fast because you're going to undermine the value that you've established to date. So you got to have change, and the processes provide structure to move to that change. In other words, ch uh, change should be within a process, and that process should be thrown out the window just for change. You create a process of change. Therefore, you deliberately change toward what you want. You, you don't have significant changes by uh, by undermining uh, the value propositions you have built in that company. So you have to be really careful as you move forward. Now, maybe I'm, I'm criticizing what he's saying here, but uh, usually to make change, uh, What has worked in the past is incremental, uh, uh, low-hanging fruit, and from success, you go to success, success, success. Well, today, those successes go very quickly. 100 years ago, you know, or maybe 50 years ago, uh, the successes went slowly. Today, they're going fast. Uh, yeah, you could say it's significant changes very quickly, but the process of change also is extremely important. I, yeah, I also think, you know, when you're a consultant, and of course he knows more about this than me, he's probably done more consulting than I have, but these end-to-end -end processes are what has, you know, let's say you have an organization with 500 employees. The end-to-end -end processes are what 400 of those 500 employees see as their job. And redesigning the end-to-end -end processes is redesigning what 400 of those 500 people have done every day of their lives for the last 10 or 15 years. And so they see it as a threat. And how could you not see it as a threat when you come in as a consultant and say, you're changing my job. You're basically saying the way that I do my job is wrong and the way I need to do it in the future is different. But we have a department of 45 people and you're redesigning the processes so that the department only has 30 people <laughs> because... You're streamlining, and like that's that's a threat. And so and I what, think you're right. If you have the wrong people on board, they'll say, "Well, I should just sabotage this consultant." There again, the best way <laughs> to have good people be unproductive is to undermine uh, their authority in their job. And changing the processes because they say they're not working. It says, "Wait a minute, I've built this company." 
I, I, I designed these job. processes. I designed these processes. Yeah. This is, well, we want to improve. We, we don't want to totally change them. Uh, the incremental change is that make them better and better because incremental changes quickly, maybe not slowly, but quickly, uh, you have buy-in with your people. You can disengage your people if you change too fast, your processes too fast from the people who built the processes. Mm -hmm. So again, I think got to be, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying you got to be careful how you your people and processes go hand in hand. They go together. And the people have to have buy-in to those process changes in, uh, in order for them to work. Because good people could make weak processes work. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the buy-in of the people, the best process you have can be undermined by the people that's going to be jeopardized. Yeah. So you have to have the buy-in of the people. So you got to be careful uh, how you change your processes. But it is necessary. It is necessary. Because processes do give structure, but flexibility within that structure so the people can do what they need to do. Because uh, they know what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. they're, they're in the company. And again, this is the application of this technology. Yes. And uh, so you don't want to micromanage. You don't want to say, okay, everyone do it this way because it's better. Well, it's not better if the people are not going to do it right. Mm -hmm. If and you don't I, have buy-in to the people. And I think that, like, he is, you know how I said, you know, people are the most differentiated than the processes, than the data, than the technology. How I said that at the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. I think he starts with people because he's saying technology is the easy part. Really, there's only, a, there's a finite amount of technological packages you could choose. What, what does he call them? Composable services up in the beginning part. Um, mm -hmm. there's only so many composable services you could choose that allow you to run an enterprise, but there are millions of people in the workforce. And some of those people, you know, you don't have to be a, a Stanford MBA to be a manager. You could have started at the company when you were 20 years old and you worked on the, you know, the factory floor and you worked your way up to management and you know more about that company than anyone. And you're, you're 50 or 60 now and some... 35-year-old guy comes in and says, oh, you need to change everything you've ever done for the last 40 years. And you say, screw you, buddy. <laughs> you know, I've been here before. I, you know, that's not going to happen. So, I mean, I do think that there is some sort of truth to the fact that technology is the easy part. From his perspective, as from GenPak's perspective, as you know, he'll say, we have this package of services that will do amazing things. It'll implement AI. It'll allow you to make more agile decisions. It'll increase operational efficiency. But the hard part is that guy that sort of started with a high school diploma and became a vice president and knows the industry and the company inside and out. Nothing happens at that company without him knowing, being told the way you do things is wrong. Why wouldn't your reaction be, screw you, buddy? And not, not only he's been there long because he knows what he's doing. He knows the process. He's a smart guy. He knows that process of that company intimately. He knows the details of, of interconnections and how things work and how things play out. And if you don't have him on your side, it doesn't matter what you implement. He can undermine it, make it, make it not work the very first time. Mm -hmm. And get, get you fired from your consulting gig. Yeah. So, uh, so the people, you're right, Dave, the people are the people. You, 
the people are the important part of getting them on your side and buy in and I think uh, as a consultant. The processes are the closest thing to the people because the people see the processes as their job. You see what I'm saying? When you go to work every morning, if you're, if you're a baker, you know, mixing the, the flour with the yeast in the water is part of your job. Waiting for it to rise is part of your job and proof. Pulling it out and then putting it in the oven is part of your job. Taking it out of the oven and letting it cool is part of your job. Those are the processes, but that's what being a baker is, is the processes. The people and processes are intertwined. Mm -hmm. Intertwined. And, and the people see, you know, they've derived their income from those processes, from being able to perform those processes well. When you start to change those processes, they may be able to do the new processes well, but they may say, this is my tolerance for ambiguity. My alarm, alarm bells are ringing. I don't want to do it the new way because I'm comfortable with the old way. And the old way is where I've sort of derived value, where I've fed my family for the last 20 years. It's, it's kind of fascinating. It's funny mm -hmm. that this little article can inspire so much conversation between you and I, you know? Well, the other thing, too, when a consultant comes in and says, here's what needs to be changed, they may be right, and he may be right. It does need to be changed. It needs to be updated. It needs to be progressive. It needs to look to the future. That's true. But the devil's in the details. How do you implement those process changes? And the way you implement them is not top-down. It's not outside-in might come up with a process, but the implementation is not outside-in. It's bottom-up. Mm -hmm. Because the people doing it have to understand what they're doing. They have to have buy-in. They have to understand. They have to say yes. And that, they have to modify it, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Instead of spending so much money top-down, uh, probably 60 to 80% of, that, of, that, of, the, of that, uh, uh, the funding should be bottom-up to make sure the people who are doing the processes know how to incorporate these changes. They have to understand where they're going, why they're going. Here's how they do it, and because they understand the complexity of the company. Mm -hmm. And I think he mentions that ground-up engagement. So, and that's the next one, ground-up engagement. Yeah. So we're moving on to data. We got two out of the four. Okay. That okay, brings we'll us to on. data. While data has always been important, it has now become a first-class citizen of enterprise architectures. Most CIOs agree that data and insights are the building blocks of transformative potential. And increasingly, the foundation of data must be built and governed centrally and strategically. Being strategic is even more important as we work through data gravity, governance, and ethics considerations that, if not adequately planned for, can become large stumbling blocks on the road to digital transformation. <laughs> what is data gravity? I'm just not familiar with some of these terms. Do you think if I was a CIO, I would know all of these terms? No, I think I think if you were in GenPack, you would know these terms. Okay. Uh, the, the, he, he, there are, these are terms. Uh, I'm not that familiar with it e either. But they're taking the more, the more, uh, the newest terms and and kind of cramming them in this article. I get it. I get it. I get it. Data what gravity is, is, oh, the ability of a body of data to attract application services and other data. So let's say Facebook's knowledge graph. Um, Facebook has two billion users. The amount of user data that they make available to their advertisers and developers is awesome. So 
there's very few, maybe Google, other companies that you can build applications with or, or provide services on top of that provide you the same level of nuance and detail. So just the body, the size of their data set makes you want to work with them. So it attracts applications and services to be built on top of their platform because it's so huge that it has its own gravity. So that makes sense to me. The data that you use are the data that's valuable. I mean, you can use data that's not that valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and also the data that says very little. But uh, it's using the right data. But I think in, the, with data, like with something like Facebook, quality is quantity. I mean, quantity is quality. There's just so much. And because they're a you know, multi-billion dollar industry, a multi-billion dollar company, hundreds of billions of dollars, they're worth hundreds of billions of dollars, they have the tools to parse the data. So yeah, there's a lot of junk on Facebook, but you, if you know how to use Facebook, you can parse the data and use it incredibly to be incredibly advantageous for you. So that data set has gravity. Well, there's other things about the data too. The data has information in itself, but the data can also be combined with other data to create a model that one piece of data will not identify, but the, a, a number of data would create a model, and that model can create uh, more information. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, it's more than just data gravity. It's how valuable that data is within a model. That model, because uh, data just says what has happened and what is. Mm -hmm. Okay, it doesn't really tell you what's going to happen. That's not happened yes. yet, but models can. And so the data can validate a model and say, yeah, this is a model, but now if we change these parameters to something we haven't seen yet, here's what's going to happen. So you can predict things. Uh, you, you can predict trends, but where a trend is not there, you have a brand new type of innovation and disruption. Models can reveal how you deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so data, data gravity is one thing, but data value is another to where that the value of data is more than just saying what is. It's creating models and validation to say what could be in the future. I guess that's really referred to as advanced analytics and, and data prescription, yeah. uh, 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 prescriptive analytics. And governance is important too. Uh, governance and then ethics consideration that the governance to make sure that that data is, is handled appropriately yeah. and not misused and not fall in the wrong hands or in the wrong models or misinterpreted. I think, though, a lot of times governance is lip service, like it's PR. It's like, oh, yeah, we leaked your data to all these people, and we promise not to do it again. Like, oh, we did it again, but you know what? We're not going to do it in the future. That, that's a lot of it. Like, oh, we have safeguards in place to make sure this never happens again. Oh, it happened again, but we're going to redouble our efforts to make sure it doesn't happen another time. I think that that's sort of the governance the appearance of governance, well, and there's people that can charge through. Like you think about Target, that data breach. You know, they compromised hundreds of millions of people's credit cards. And it's like, Target's still standing, you know? Target can weather that storm. But if you're a small website and you become known as, you know, the place where you get hacked, you may not weather that storm. Um, shall we finish the article? Okay. Okay, technology. This is the final proof. This is what he's talking about. This is what it's all leading up to.
With all its promise and proof, technology is critical, but best seen as the catalyst that lights up the chemistry of transformation, not the change itself. When viewed through this lens, technology delivers the core foundation for transformation, but it needs strategic, synchronized, and programmatic execution across the other dimensions to fully realize its potential. And as digital becomes the driving force behind business transformation, digital leaders increasingly become co-creators of new businesses at the intersection of innovating through people, process, data, and technology spectrums. And that's what Jim Peck will do for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, oh, I didn't have it up. Although this is digital leaders, why are they co-creators? Why aren't they just creators? Oh, because it's like you can do a consulting business or something. But this is what I always like to say for my dime store philosophy is the Levi Strauss example. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I guess that's just more of an example of a complementary industry. But... Okay, so there's a gold rush, and everyone's mining for gold in San Francisco. Levi Strauss gets out there, and instead of picking up a pan and heading out to the gold fields, he says, why don't I start making canvas pants, selling them to these prospectors? Well, a lot of those gold panners, they might have struck it rich and spent all their money. They might have not found a dime, but Levi Strauss is still in business because he said, what's happening at the intersection of all this hubbub? that I can take advantage of. Where is my competitive advantage in this? I don't want to be another person out there in the stream panning for gold. I want to sell these. I mean, I'm sure there's hardware companies that started, you know, in San Francisco. They were, you know, importing shovels and pans from the east and selling them to the prospectors. I'm, I, you know, there's complementary industries. So at the intersection of, uh, you know, where digital comes together, the confluence, there's opportunity, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. That's a very good example. I like that example a lot. And, you know, now that we're at, toward the end, of, before we talked about the technology, some things about here, I just want to say, in general, I like the article. It's really good to see how people will, will promote uh, the technology on here's how it can help people. Here's what we can do for you. You know, uh, that is such a value to see how how Jim Peck how they promote themselves and how uh, Sanjay promotes himself uh, towards solutions. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he is a solver of problems. Yes. And they do solve problems. They do. Uh, and uh, they probably don't solve all the problems. And, and sometimes they make mistakes. Uh, but that's just reality. Uh, you can never stop trying uh, when you do make a mistake, you just got to keep going. Mm -hmm. You just got to keep doing it. Learn from your mistakes and keep moving forward. And sometimes moving forward is is creating new innovative ideas, and that's what he's talking about. Well, the strategic, synchronized, and programmatic execution, uh, the, the, again, those are real buzzwords, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the strategic is is leadership looking forward Synchronize is looking at everybody within your company to make sure that uh, that uh, you need to engage everyone. And programmatic is something that they can, the structure they can bring to the table. Synchronize so is not that. Synchronize is not looking at everybody in the company. Synchronize is updating all the systems at the same time. Yeah, and, and I'm just uh, saying uh, all the... 
All the but, systems within within the organization. No, but you said synchronize is looking at the people in your company. It's like, no, I think synchronize is making sure that half of your company is not on the legacy system while half of your company is on the new system. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, but what I was, yeah, I was, we were saying the same thing. Okay. But who's in charge of those systems? Make sure that people says, okay, our system, uh, make sure the whole company is together, uh, moving as a group. I mm-hmm. guess I should have said it that way. And uh, to me, when I think of systems, departments, I think of the people that make these decisions. Yes. Well, people that know how to do it the old way, you know, they'll drag their feet on implementing the new solution. And then you'll have, you know, a set of legacy systems and a set of, you know, current systems. And that's not good for anyone. Strategic is is looking forward. Synchronize is looking internally. And programmatic is what they bring to the table uh, to execute this in the future. I guess maybe I should have said it that way. But uh, anyway, I, I just want to say I think that this this is a I like this article. I like this paper. I like what Senjay did here. He just he's a good writer, mm-hmm. uh, and he's this is a very well written paper. Uh, it uh, he doesn't describe it, all this stuff. He throws a lot of words out there, but he mm-hmm. organizes it with these four different dimensions. And I think it's a really good paper. It's fun. It's fun to just look. It's a good summary. It's kind of like, uh, oh, what's the word, David? There's got to be a word where, you know, you have this huge field of technology and processes and data and people, but then he puts it in a little package uh, where you can look and all these little buzzwords here put together in a structure that you can kind of see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, th- I think it's a really a good, uh, really good paper. And the technology part here is taking all this data, processes, people, all the history of, of knowledge that we have, and it's solving problems. It says, how do you solve these problems? Yeah. How do you, how do you bring it to actually be innovative solutions uh, for these companies? And uh, there's a place for these consulting companies. Uh, but I think the people who, who engage the companies, uh, the consultants, and also the clients, they all have to be very careful moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have to move forward. You got to do it. And so you got to you got to think it, think about it carefully. So and, uh, I liked leaders. it too. I liked it. Um, I really liked this paper a lot, didn't you, David? Uh huh. I did. I mean, I think there's a lot of buzzwords in the digital transformation area that I didn't know, but they all sort of make sense to me when I look them up. Um, and there's the, you know, there's, a there's arguments here that are like, you know, you need to clear leadership. You need to push this forward. So it's sort of saying, if you're not doing this, you're getting left behind and you're being a bad leader. So you should do this. And conveniently enough, uh, this company that I'm the chief digital officer for, uh, leads to the digital and technology businesses overseeing the offerings in artificial intelligence, analytics, automation, and digital technology services is the exact type of company that can provide those services to your firm. So it's, in a way, it's sort of an advertisement for GenPak's digital services. And yet, there's probably a lot of firms out there that could bolster their competitiveness going into the next decade by taking a look at some of these services. Yes. And Genpack and other people like Genpack and companies that can use them, that's the future. Mm-hmm. 
they will take us into the future to the next generation. And all these buzzwords are 2021, uh, 2022, there may be some new ones. Mm -hmm. There probably will be. <laughs> uh, but because it's always going to advance, advance, advance. You need to learn from the past, but you got to keep looking to the future because there's always going to be new things down the pike. Yes. New things coming up every year. And we got to remember from the beginning of the video, the natural progression goes mouse, cat, dog. <laughs> uh, and just because you're using buzzwords doesn't mean you're fired. No. <laughs> and and uh, use the buzzwords, but don't just rely on the buzzwords. Or understand what they mean and sort of how they work in practice. Understand what they mean, how they work in practice, and be careful implementing them. Uh, but you need a whole variety of you need young people. I really think, David, if 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 uh, the best creative board, uh, or I won't say board, but the creative group of focus group mm -hmm. would have people in their 70s and 80s and people in their teens and 20s and everybody in between. People who are from uh, engineering all the way to psychology and history and literature. Uh, people who are from from every continent uh, in the way in in the world, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people from all different uh, backgrounds, uh, people from all you know, just on and on and on and on and on. The more diversity you have, uh, the more intelligence, the more creativity, uh, and the more value you have in that group of people that work together and listen to each other, and that's why. Uh, the Sons of Sequoia says, that's why we always say, keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. And that's a good wrap up for today. We are the Sons of Sequoia podcast. We broadcast live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on YouTube, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your audio content. So we'd ask you to drop a like, drop a subscribe, or follow us on any of the podcast streaming platforms, and we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Bye.